Well, hello everybody, Gary Koo here. It's nice to be with you uh, here today. And uh, let me start by asking you a question. What do you hope for? What, what do you hope for? What are you looking forward to? What do you dream about? What do you want? Uh, it's a question that the answer changes over time, doesn't it, depending on where you are. I mean, for example, when I was a boy, I wanted, I hoped for, a grey Nichols cricket bat, one with a big scoop on the back, possibly two if I was lucky. And then as time progressed, uh, what I hoped for was a job, a job I'd enjoy and would pay well as well. Then a bit further down the line, I hoped to find that special person I could spend the rest of my life with. What have you hoped for? And how's it turned out? Because the things that we hope for don't always turn out, do they? I mean, I did find that special person and to spend the rest of my life with, but I'd never got that cricket bat and my job didn't turn out the way I expected. Uh, and that's because the things that we hope for don't always happen. And as a result, many of us are cautious. We don't want to put all our eggs into the one basket. We don't want to go all in, lest we be disappointed and end up being hurt. And the question I want to ask you as we look at the Bible today is, should we bring the same attitude when it comes to God? Uh, should we bring the same attitude when it comes to the hope that we have and what God has promised? Uh, should we be cautious of going all in, lest we end up being disappointed? That's what we're going to be looking at from the Bible today. And it'd be really good if you could have Romans chapter 5 open before you. And here in Romans chapter 5, the author, Paul, writing to the Christians in Rome, starts in verse 1 by telling them how much they have in Jesus. So if you'd like to come with me to verse 1, have a look there. You'll see that Paul starts by saying, we have been justified. And what does that mean? Uh, to be justified means uh, being able to stand before God just as if I'd done nothing wrong. To be justified means uh, having a clean slate, being declared not guilty before a judge. That's what a Christian has by trusting in Jesus. And that's not all. Uh, the second thing Paul says is that a Christian also has peace with God. Rather than being God's enemy, they are now friends and family. And while it might not look like Paul is saying much at this point, if you have the eyes to see it, it's a bit like going to a buffet. You know what it's like to go to a buffet. I love going to buffets. I think buffets are wonderful. You, you walk into a buffet and, and it's all there before you. Uh, there's the prawns and the oysters. There's the roast and the, uh, uh, the salad, the pasta, the cheeses. There's so much dessert. Uh, going to a buffet is all about abundance. And that's what we have here in the first verse of our passage. This is a picture of abundance. What more could you want than to know that uh, when it comes to judgment, we are right with God. When it comes to our relationship, we are at peace with God. We're on the same side. This is a picture of abundance. This is really terrific. And please notice, these aren't things that we're actually looking forward to. These are things that we have now. We have 
been justified. We have peace with God because of Jesus. This is what we have now. And how has all this come about? Please come and have a look with me at what it says in verse 2. And this is really special and really beautiful. Verse 2 tells us we have gained access to all this by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And what does this mean? Well, let me try to explain this by asking you a question. How does a person become a Christian? How does a person establish a relationship with God? I mean, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I became a Christian later on in life at the age of uh, 21. And I used to think that becoming a Christian was all about the things that you do. That being a Christian was about being good enough or religious enough or following certain rules. And if you were good enough for God, then somehow you got in. But then I became a Christian and realised that actually I was wrong, that becoming a Christian wasn't about the things that you do, but becoming a Christian, Christian was all about what God had done for us. And that's the word we find there, if you have a look at verse 2 again, that word grace. This word which is so very special and so very wonderful because what does it mean? The word grace means unmerited favour. It means receiving a gift, getting something for nothing. Uh, very early on, somebody taught me that grace, uh, to understand grace, it was G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. And this is how a person becomes a Christian. It's not through the things that they do, but what God has done for them. It's not about earning their way into heaven, but it's about receiving a gift. The gift that comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, who pays the price for our sins on the cross and rises from the dead. And this is why grace is one of my favourite words in the world. There's this word grace which turned my life upside down because so much of my life and so much of my experience was all about achievement and merit. And can you just imagine for a moment relating to God on that basis? according to the things that we do. It'd be like sitting an exam every day of our lives, never knowing if we're good enough or we've done enough, if we were in or out. I mean, life would be filled with anxiety. You'd have absolutely no certainty at all. But grace is totally different. It gives us certainty. Because what grace tells us is that no matter what we do, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done in the past, despite the circumstances we face, in the good times and the bad, if we turn back to God, he'll be there waiting for us with open arms, ready to accept us because of the grace we have in Jesus. And can I just say to those of you watching, uh, for those of you who aren't yet Christian, can I just say this is why being a Christian is the best thing in the world. To know that God views us, warts and all, through the lens of grace is a wonderful comfort and an incredible joy. Look, I don't know where you're at with God in your journey towards God, but if you're interested, why don't you drop this church a line? I'm sure the people here would love to talk to you about this amazing grace we can have in Jesus.
the first thing Paul says is that we have so much in Jesus. But then rather surprisingly, at the end of verse 2, he goes on to say that there's actually more. Have a look at the end of verse 2 with me. He says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And what does this mean? What is Paul talking about? He said, we have so much in Jesus, but this isn't it. There's more to come. There's something to hope for because life isn't the way that God actually wants it to be. And, and when we step back to think about it, that's true, isn't it? Uh, despite his grace, we still sin against God. Despite all Jesus has done, people still reject him. And this world that we live in is far from perfect. We're still a long way away from what God has promised us in the Bible. And what has he promised us? He's promised us all sorts of things. Uh, but one of the things that he's promised us in Revelation chapter 21 is a future without sin or suffering, all its consequences, uh, where God will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's one of the things we hope for as God's people through Jesus. And another thing God speaks about in the Bible is a future where Jesus will be honoured, a future where the whole world will give Jesus the honour he deserves, where every knee will bow and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, as we're told in Philippians chapter 2. These are some of the things that Christians hope for, Christians look forward to that lie in our future, where the end to suffering, the end to sin, when God's glory and goodness will be witnessed and acknowledged by everyone. But we're not there yet. That's what we're told if you have a look at verse 3. And this side of hope, we still have tears. And the very existence of those tears can lead to doubt. It can dent our confidence in the promises of God. It can lead us to question whether our hopes will be fulfilled. And I'm sure there are plenty of us thinking exactly the same thing now. Because 2020 has been an extraordinary year. I mean, just think about it. It wasn't that long ago we were worried about drought and bushfires. And here we are in the midst of COVID-19. What's going on? Does God even care? Paul moves on to say two things to encourage us to keep on clinging to our hope. And the first thing he says, if you come back with me to verse 3, is that our suffering isn't meaningless. And it doesn't mean that it will crush our hopes. But actually our suffering can be used to help us hold on to our hopes. Our suffering can be used to help us in two different ways. Firstly, by producing perseverance. I mean, when you're suffering, what do you want more than anything else? You want your suffering to end. You want it to be all over. And as a result, our suffering can actually lift us out of our present to look forward to our future, to something that lies beyond this current situation, to something that is better. It can lead us to 
press on and persevere looking for the hope that we have. Secondly, our suffering can also develop our character. And the word character has the sense of being tried and tested. It's a bit like what a manufacturer does with a car. I mean, they, they test their cars in difficult circumstances. They, they bring their cars to extreme heat. They bring it to Death Valley. They bring their cars to Scandinavia to test them to snow. Not to crush their cars or destroy their cars, but to make them better, to make them stronger. And there are times in our lives when our suffering can do that as well where our suffering can make us stronger and make us better, where our suffering can help us keep growing to build our resilience. So we'll keep pressing on all the way to the end. Now, I want you to hear me clearly at this point. I'm not saying that we as Christians should go out of our way to look for suffering. And can I just say something? When we see someone suffering, it's really, really unhelpful to say, this is probably good for you. Let's not do that. But let me ask you a question which is related to hope. Do you think about the hope we have in Jesus when things are going well? Do you want Jesus to return when life is good? If I'm honest with myself, I rarely do. But when things are hard... When there's, pa- when there's pain and suffering, hope, for me, ends up being front and centre. And I think at times our suffering can be a little bit like the focus button on our camera. We suffer and our hope, which is blurry, suddenly becomes clear. As we remember, as we remember why we hoped for this in the first place and that what we're experiencing right now isn't the be-all and end-all. Suffering can help us. Remember, there's so much more to come. That there's something better to look forward to that God has promised his people. The first encouragement uh, Paul gives us is that our suffering isn't meaningless. And now the second encouragement is found in verses 5 to 11. And what Paul says here is that the hope that we have does not put us to shame. And that if we go all in with God, we won't be disappointed. Why? Because the God who makes these promises, who offers us this hope, loves us more than we can possibly imagine. Come and have a look with me at verse 6 in your Bibles. And Paul here says, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for us the ungodly. Paul says that Jesus died on the cross for people like you and for me, paying the price that we were powerless to pay, paying the price for our sins, taking on judgment on himself in our place on the cross, so we can be justified and have peace with God. That's what Jesus has done for us. And then in verse 7, Paul goes on to say this. Have a look with me. He says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. And in a way, what Paul is doing here in verse 7 is raising the question, who would you die for? Who would you save with your life? And when I ask myself that question, I'd say I'd die for my children, my wife, my sister, 
But I don't know about you, it's not a very long list. There are very few people I'd be willing to die for. And when it comes to the righteous person, the person who is upright, the good person, who helps lots of people, even for them, I'd have to think twice. There are very few people I'd give up my life for, but then there's God. Have a look at verse 8. What do we see here? What does Paul say? He says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what Paul says here in the Bible is really quite extraordinary. Christ dies for the ungodly, for sinners like us. But when does he do this? While we were still sinners. And if you have a look at verse 10, we as sinners are considered God's enemies, as those who are opposed to him, those in rebellion, shaking our fist at him, denying his right to rule, uh, denying his existence. That's when Christ was willing to die for us. And it wasn't like, you know, we'd turned back to him or asked him to do it or done something to deserve it. No, God has loved us in Jesus at our worst. And this shows us how much God loves us, that he'd send Jesus to die for people like us at that time. I mean, just take a moment. Take a moment to think about dying for an enemy. I mean, would you do that? Or dying for someone who wronged you, or dying for someone who hated you. The online bully, the gossip, the liar, the impossible neighbour, the shonky tradesman, would you die for them? I mean, we wouldn't do it for them, but God does it for us. That just shows us how much God loves us. And if nothing else, this should give us confidence, great confidence that God can be trusted and wants what's best for us. And that the things that he's promised, he's going to deliver on. I mean, if he loved us as enemies, how much more will he love us as his family? And, you know, when I think about God's love, it's a bit like a child learning to swim for the first time, isn't it? You know what it's like. The child there standing at the edge of the pool, filled with trepidation, about to step into the water, nervous, anxious, not knowing what to do, but willing to step into the water because their parents are waiting for them. Knowing that their parents care knowing that they're safe with their parents, knowing all this because they know their parents love them. And it's very much the same when it comes to us and God, is knowing that he loves us that allows us to step into the water, to keep on trusting him despite our fears. And if there's nothing else you take away from what we've looked at from the Bible today, please know this, that it's knowing the depth of of God's love that forms the foundation for our hope. is knowing the depth of God's love that forms the foundation of our hope. And isn't it good to know that in a time of tremendous uncertainty, 
here is something we can be certain of that we can anchor our lives to. We can be certain that God really loves us because Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your tremendous love for us. We know that we're undeserving. We know that uh, we've sinned against you, yet in your grace, in your mercy, in your love and generosity, you sent your son Jesus to us so we could be justified and at peace with you. And we thank you for your tremendous promises of a future without sin or death or mourning or crying or pain, when Jesus will be, where Jesus will be honoured by all the entire world. We pray, Father, that you would help us to cling on to this hope that you, we would persevere and you would build our character so that we might enjoy all that you've promised your people and won through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.